right, we are rolling. Go ahead. All right. Well, welcome everyone. Our group chose to do our little project here on Cas the Castlevania. I'm Marissa Korn, your host, joined by Matt Tanciato, Autumn Jimenez, Connor Brown, and Julian Riley. The show Castlevania is a Netflix original. It's a fictional drama and anime. It's an anime-inspired American animation. The story follows two simultaneous plot lines. One of the protagonists, one of which is the protagonist, and the, antagon the other the antagonist. The story begins with the human Lisa tracking down the traveling castle of Dracula to learn his knowledge of science and medicine, so she could become a true doctor. Enamored by her bravery and determination, Dracula agrees and falls in love with her in the process of their studies. But one day while he was away, Lisa is healing an elder woman at, at her home when local, local priests accuse her of witchcraft. She is then taken and burned at the stake, and from then on, Dracula is determined to exterminate the human race for their prejudice and rejection of science. After a major attack by Dracula's army on a human town, the protagonist consists consisting of the nomadic speaker magician, Typha, and human vampire slayer, Trevor Belmont, join forces to take down the vampires. They later team up with the strange son of Dracula and Lisa, Alucard, and from there, the, from there on, they begin their quest to stop his father's vengeful war on humanity. For this podcast specifically, we're going to be focusing on the latter half, I'd say, of season two. For this, and because, and at this point in the program, the vampire sighting humans of Isaac and Hector have been introduced, as well as a few other higher-up vampires in Dracula's court, like Carmilla. This latter half gives the viewers more insight to the growing relationship between the protagonist trio, as well as the waning support for Dracula's war on humanity with his within his court, which leads to the exploitation of his army by Carmilla. Eventually, the trio succeeds in locating and defeating Dracula himself, destabilizing, destabilizing the power within the vampire court, and therefore setting up plot lines for season three. Some other important info I thought was really um, integral to understanding this program is some of the production info. So the show is, was developed by producer Kevin Cold with writer Warren Ellis and Ad, Adi Shankar. All three were listed as ex executive producers of the program. The episodes we are discussing today were directed by a few different directors, including Sam Dietz, Spencer Wan, and Adam Dietz. The show was initially released in 2017 and is still in currently in production of new episodes. The show was originally inspired by a video game of the same namesake, and um, contains very many popular beliefs of the vampire lore, including a weakness to wooden stakes, running water, blood drinking, etc. Today, we're going to ha having Matt be fo focusing on narrative analysis of the show, Autumn on character analysis, Connor on cultural analysis, and Julian on visual analysis. I now like to pass it off to Matt to start uh, start a look at the actual storylines of this and kind of break that down for us, Matt. Yeah, for this, uh, the narrative analysis on Castlevania, uh, we'll start with episode five, and we're going all the way down to episode eight, which is the end of season two. Um, starting at season, uh, episode five, um, it's kind of like, I would describe it as like the calm before the storm. Um, the storm starts to like brew, and uh, things are in motion, and there starts to become um, like commotion around Dracula's court. And so, um, the one who really is starting to storm uh, to uh, cause all this commotion is Carmilla in Dracula's court, and so um, this episode to me was kind of in between equilibrium and like disruption mm. um, because everything seemed calm, but then it started to get um, 
disruption, like there started to become like a little bit of disruption and kind of disloyalty to Indracula's court. And um, you can see that as Carmilla starts to plan out her ways to um, start a battle between Dracula and become like a someone higher than 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 him. Um, and so everyone's in equilibrium in the beginning, um, in episode five, and then um, plans start um, to become in motion for um, a really big battle. And so um, the in um, Dracula's court, Carmilla starts to talk to the character as um, uh, as Marissa mentioned, Isaac, or I'm um, sorry, Hector. And so they start to plan out to really just build build a build Dracula's disloyalty mm-hmm. or against him. And so um, this causes a lot of disruption and which follows to becoming um, a big battle. Um, uh, meanwhile, the three um, characters, uh, three main characters, Trevor, Sylph, uh, Sypha, and Alucard, um, they are currently in more of an, I say more of the equilibrium than disruption because it's kind of like, it's kind of split. So there's more of, um, let's say, there's more of the setting in Dracula's castle and then there's more of the setting of Trevor, um, Sypha, and Alucard in um, Trevor's family library. And so uh, in this part, uh, that's why I said there's equilibrium and there's also disruption. Um, they're kind of just studying in, in his in his um, Trevor's library. Sorry, Trevor's family library, um, and they're just uh, really reading um, over books. And that's why I um, said that that was mm-hmm. a part of equilibrium. Um, they like juxtapose each other, the two different storylines. Yeah, lines. and they they, they, uh, they really start to kind of um, build all that tension. Um, and so as we move on to See, uh, episode, I collabed episode six and seven because they really put a lot of um, a lot of action. It's very action packed, so that's why I put those two together. And I said that they're mainly like the fighting scenes. That's what um, really came after of the the disruption. And so I I kind of called episode six and seven as recognition and repair. So for these two uh, episodes, they were mainly the battles between. Um, as I said, Carmilla was planning an attack, uh, or planning her um, her disloyalty, her, her her ways against Dracula to become the bigger vampire. And um, for the three, Trevor, Sypha, and Alucard, they became um, more of uh, they they were kind of um, in a in a little situation where they were cornered, and so they had to make a quick decision to uh, join the battle. Um, and so I call this recognition um, because you can see as everyone starts to really realize oh who's the enemy and who's um, who's disloyal like as Dracula sees this person is disloyal to me and um, we can see that the, the three three main characters are also the ones who are like okay we need to make this decision now we need to go and really join this battle now because we're cornered we have to do something, and so um, they kind of like jump into a portal. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I kind of saw that as like the big recognition for everybody, and um, 
uh, throughout these episodes, they're just action-packed fighting scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the repair part, I would say it was more of um, toward the end of episode seven, um, where they start to um, finish the battle, really. And uh, they start to, like as, as the storm starts to calm down, they really start to finish the battle and I guess there's, um, sorry, uh, I forgot to mention that Alucard is actually Dracula's son. I know that's a very I important. That you're good. That's a very important um, information. But um, so, and that's why I would say that at the end of episode seven there was repair mm-hmm. because there was a there's obviously a big battle as um, Alucard being one of Dracula's sons. There's obviously some um, emotion between the two. And so there is a little bit of um, kind of like sadness in, at, at the end, but they did defeat um, Dracula, and things started to calm down. Mm-hmm. And that was the, epi- the end of episode seven. Mm-hmm. Um, during episode eight, which is the last episode of season two, I would say that that was the final and new equilibrium. Um, everything... Like I said, at the end of, at the end of episode seven, um, people were defeated. Dracula was defeated, and um, the vampires scattered. Really, uh, the plan from Dracula was to kill off all humans, and the three—Trevor, Cypher, and Alucard—really just saved humanity. Really, and so everything started to calm down. The end of the storm, um, the end of this big commotion, and this new new equilibrium was created. While everyone was calmed down, they were figuring out what's next after this long battle. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, As Marissa mentioned, there was plans to, or uh, plots to um, the new season three, Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, everything at this point, episode eight, was calmed down, people were splitting apart, figuring out what to do next with their life, and um, that was the end of season two. I think, um, I wanna go back to like the moment, like I think the big, like the big climax was um, between Alucard and Dracula, Mm -hmm. towards the end of episode seven. There was at this point where like, Dracula's been weakened because they've been fighting him in his castle for a while, um, like the protagonist trio, and um, there's, um, there's at a point where like this Alucard and, Dracula are just going at it. Mm-hmm. And, like, Alucard's already been estranged at this point from Dracula for some time, from what I understand. And so, like, I, it's very much, like, unresolved issues from years past. And there's, like, this great moment where, like, Dracula has recognition in and of itself because he's, mm-hmm. like, I'm killing the one thing my wife left me yeah. after all of this. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? And, like, that's when um, Alucard kills him. And like there's a, a like a moment of healing, I'd say. Yeah, yeah it's like definitely. basically what I was like writing down because I was just like that was just such a like a powerful moment within the show mm-hmm. that you just it was a way where you just see the camera pan from like little things throughout the room mm-hmm. to like seeing Dracula's face change to like recognition and like the immense sadness you just start to feel and mm-hmm. like and you just feel like. Uh, no, you like relate to him a lot throughout that just that few like seconds of like scene mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then like it just you can just feel the pain that like Alucard mm-hmm. just 
does when he like finally stabs his own father. It, yeah. Yeah, it feels as almost like, you know, like when the child becomes the parent. And it sounds like, you know, like when mm. um, parents get older and you kind of have to care for them. It yeah. seems very much like that because Alucard kind of has to take on this responsibility now because Dracula has just kind of given up. He's oh, yeah. lost his wife and like that's the only thing he really cared about in life. Yeah. And so I think like by putting him, I think in a way Alucard kind of put him out of his misery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Cause, um, like, his whole like the whole like, first two seasons was like the fact that he was on a suicide mission to like just kill mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. And because he was just so depressed and just so like yeah. sulky and like tired. There's been like scenes like if you go an episode think uh at seven when he's like talking to isaac and he's like isaac's like trying to tell him about how the vampires are conspiring against him but like he will have like control about it like dracula don't worry i got you like Mm -hmm. don't worry and then dracula is just like extremely tired uncaring unresponsive and he's just like I don't care. Like, yeah. honestly, yeah. you're fine. And, like, the fact that he's willing to kill off all humans, which are his food source, yeah. Yeah. was like, I don't care. Like, after he's the death, really, you can tell he just wanted to fade away. He he's wanted really just to die. blinded at that point. Like, yeah. as soon as his wife died, he was really just blinded. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think Alucard really just kind of, he, he, he was definitely sad about it, but he knew at the same time <laughs> that he, like you said, he really put him out of his misery. Yeah. Um, and it was his own father. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was just kind of like a sad moment too, because mm-hmm. it's like, wow, like you, you really had that power to just, like, it's not, it was like almost, it's not really almost full hate for mm-hmm. him to do it, you know? It's, it's, it's like a, it was an act of love. Yeah, it was it? also an act of love for him to actually help his father to not um, be in so much pain anymore, because yeah. like obviously like, you know, vampires are so like immortal, but there's like little things you can do to kill them, right? But. <laughs> Um, just gotta that steak. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta give him with a steak. But it's the fact that, like, I think it had to be his son yes. out of everyone. You yeah, know, and it yeah. does like, speak with like Alucard's like character because throughout the whole like second season, especially within like episode five to like eight, there's like little moments you see of Alucard just like kind of like making side comments, even though if they're like coming mm-hmm. off as like jokes or whatever mm-hmm. about dealing like seeing his father again mm-hmm. or like the gravity of everything that they're doing and it just he's like the character throughout those well second half of the season that's kind of just bringing you back to a reality yeah like, like you said like he's really like coming to grips with like wow i really got to go in this my dad's castle and like i have to I have mm-hmm. to kill him or it's the whole world. And I feel like you really see him to, A, come to terms with that and be like, really experience the weight of that when he finally drives a snake and he's just like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like, this is my it, father, but I have to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. It almost that's reminds cool. me of like a very much like a Luke and Darth Vader relationship. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's one, I think character relationship a lot of people are very familiar with, you know, like Luke believes in the good in him, like to the end. And like mourns him when he dies, and so it's like it just really reminded me of that in a way, because like they didn't want to have to see the evil in their parents, but like they had to accept that that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, any other comments on narrative stuff, or can we move it's on? It's also um, important to point out that while Alucard is physically an adult, maybe late twenties, um, literally he is just a teenager. He is yeah. maybe mm-hmm. sixteen years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he is tackling all of the weight of being a angsty teenager and his dad trying to commit genocide at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of conflicting emotions within him. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we forget they've shown because like I think he's not illustrated to look young. 
No, I, he looks like an whole adult in the show, yeah. and I think that makes a difference because you forget like just how young he is and how he's literally just starting to experience the world and just starting to like become a person. Yeah. And also, you have to team up with a, a guy that who's vampires the notorious for killing your your kind. So that's really probably like a hard thing to deal with. Yeah, and he <laughs> makes comments about that throughout right. the show. That he's like, "We're in a library. That's literally like a museum of how you kill my people." Yeah, and it's like it came off as like something super like funny for the audience mm-hmm. but like it's also just it really like showed how they developed as like a whole friendship too. I know I love their friendship mm-hmm. like, the trio is so cute yeah <laughs> oh my god they're so cute yeah especially with like the whole scene in episode 5 I just really loved episode 5 mm-hmm. for like that like how it started to delve from like the hatred to like actual like growth into like mm-hmm. a solid yes. friendship yeah yeah um, I think that's a great point to kind of start moving into character analysis so I'd love to like hand the mic off to you Autumn Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was when I was like focusing on episode five because I just really enjoyed the friendship of like Saifa and Alucard and Trevor. You it, mostly in episode five, you just get more dialogue between Saifa and Alucard, and with like Saifa, her character is just like the the character that's seeking and like her whole like drive is just finding knowledge, and so she's having the time of her life in this library. And um, this whole time, like, Alucard is, like, distant from Trevor because of where they're at. Mm-hmm. And then he's just kind of, like, hovering around Saifa. But the whole, like, the whole time, they're, he's, like, making comments about, like, what they're doing and, like, the, the gravity of everything as well as just, like, where they're at. And she's just, like, so excited about knowledge. And then she keeps, like, telling, like, kind of checking him, being like, hey, like, even though like this is all happening, you're you still gotta like treat people like mm-hmm. as people, mm-hmm. and like you, mm-hmm. yeah. you still have to be I like a person. And she was just like he, it, it just it kind of like made him think about things a lot, which I just really loved about Saifa. As well, it just like throughout the whole um, that episode, you just see, see it shows you how much knowledge her people have, like the speakers, and how much they do carry through like oral. Mm-hmm. And um, history. Just a comment, the speakers are like a nomadic people in the show and basically they only have an oral history and they're magicians. And as, um, Some of them are magicians. Some of them are magicians mm-hmm. like Saifa. And so they move around a lot and at the beginning of the show they had to leave the area because the vampires were attacking so Saifa's kind of been on her own from her people at this point. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure we have that context. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I was just going to start getting into like how like her clothing and her character is so like happy compared to all the chaos on evil that's like constantly surrounding her people as well mm-hmm. as her especially because she's like throwing herself in like out of pocket fantasy situations mm-hmm. as like when you first meet her she was frozen by a cyclops because she wanted to go find the hidden the sleeping soldier which turned out to be Alucard and that like proves like how like devoted to learning knowledge she is mm-hmm. and like all of her like talents and magic is when we like see in the fighting episodes you just like see how like powerful she is as a person because like before you just kind of just just kind of like a not comedic relief but like she's just like the happy character so mm-hmm. it's not the whole show isn't just depressing mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. i think also she mentioned something about like her magic comes from like really just like her mind and her thoughts and ideas and so for her to really have like a powerful kind of happy like like she's very clear, she seems to be very clear-minded. She like knows who she is. And so she 
that's why I feel like that's why she's very powerful because like she can really put her thoughts together like and that kind of translates into her powers really mm -hmm. you know yeah, she's like the bridge between Trevor and Alucard in my opinion because mm -hmm. Alucard and Trevor are very much foils they're oh, very sure. much foils completely and like I know Adam's probably gonna talk about more about those characters in a second but she's the bridge between them because mm -hmm. she's always the one bringing them together getting them to fight for the same cause and getting them back on the, the same page instead of like them arguing wait what are foils? Foils are um, characters who are basically the opposite of one each other. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, um, yeah, most definitely, I agree. Autumn, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, for sure. It's like as we were been saying throughout this entire like little talk, um, Trevor is just a person that's come from a family of like monster hunters, and he's actually the um, in the games he's like the first one to actually start the cycle of killing Dracula, and then his family continues to like mm. kill Dracula. It's weird. I don't know if they're gonna do that in the show, but. It is a cycle that happens in the games, and um, uh, which is like also just really interesting how he develops a friendship with Alucard, the son of Dracula, and it's Alucard is Dracula backwards. Mm. So it's just like oh. he's just like the embodiment of Dracula, but like the more human version because his mother was mm -hmm. a human, and it's, it's just uh, the whole opposites of them just being like they kind of balance each other out in the sense of like. They teach each other that they can be friends between like someone that they're supposed to hate, and what really helps with that is Saifa because like she is always constantly seeing the good in people. Mm -hmm. So like her drive for that is just mm -hmm. like I'm not sure. No, she she cares about people. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. Mm -hmm. She's I think because she comes from such like a tightly knit community, it really affects like how she sees other people because you know like. She takes in Trevor, like, by the end of the season. She's like, we're sticking together because this is good for you. Like, we need to keep, like, fighting evil because, like, this is what's right mm -hmm. and this is what you need. Yeah. And so she's very much, like, family-oriented in general, I think, as a person. Yeah, I, I feel agree. like she's really good for the story as well because, especially in, like, the whole, the grand scheme of the show, there's really nobody as positive as her. So for this, like, character of, like, light to come in to, you know, rally the troops and go into battle and fight for what's good, I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then I was like also delving into like Hector's and Isaac's characters because like with Isaac I just find him such a compelling character because he is so overtly devoted to Dracula and his like whole suicide mission of killing just everyone and it's just he even earlier in the season he kills another vampire because like that vampire was just kind of like not fitting with that plan. And he acts like he makes it seem like like he just disappeared, and like, which goes along with that one vampire's character. But and it, further with that, like he con is constantly talking to Dracula, and he's so real with Dracula with um, how they communicate with each other. And it really feels like Dracula had a friend in Isaac, but um, there was still that like power dynamic because Isaac did know like. He was gonna die at the end. He was fully prepared to just just kill, like to end up dying. He didn't, because every time Dracula was like, "Oh well, it's gonna just be you and Hector left. You should make friends." And Isaac was like, "Why would I make friends? Like we're most likely not gonna survive." Mm -hmm. And he continues to just overtly like. There's even a point when Trevor, Alucard, and Sypha like break into the castle and they're start like starting that whole fight sequence and like. Before they get to the big boss level, um, 
uh, Isaac is like prepared to like sacrifice his life for Dracula and mm-hmm. to the point where like Dracula was like no like you have a soul and it is like it speaks to like Dracula's character that he still saw some mm-hmm. like foreshadows to like the, his last scene when he realizes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it, like he still has some like humanity left yeah, that he I think- learned from his wife I think because Dracula did love a human once, I think it's because it is hard for him to love again because he was took her from him, but like because I think he sees humanity that he just can't get out of vampires. Mm. You know, I think that's why he takes companionship with with um, Isaac and um, Hector. Yeah, I think that's really funny though, because especially, um, yeah, I think I just think it's funny because especially Isaac. Like, he's really hell-bent on this whole kill, killing humanity thing, mm-hmm. especially in the post-seasons, but, like, just him being, like, I guess, the least human, and then in, in the end when Dracula saves both of them, like, um, or saves Isaac, like, Dracula still has, like, this, this shrivel of humanity mm-hmm. left, and as you can see, it's like, okay, this this yeah. is a good guy, like, and I hope he does well. And I thought it was interesting how like he, ha- he he finds that companionship and that love for humanity and that was like Lisa's goal for him in the first place, you know. Originally Dracula was away from Lisa um, when she got killed because he she had told him to go travel and understand humanity more and like learn to love hum- humans mm. and I think he he does accomplish that by the time he dies. In, in a sense like that's his character arc I think is like that goal of like understanding humanity and like finding his own humanity in and of itself yeah and even like the whole power dynamics of Dracula asking Hector and Isaac to help him with that was just like showing how much he already like is compassionate with humanity mm-hmm. because like why would this powerful vampire that all the vampires like look up to wouldn't have the thought to even like ask for help from a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was just. I think Hector and Isaac are the two most like pivotal pivotal members on Dracula's council, both in their roles like in the court and um, their roles like as a friend to him, because mm-hmm. they're what's known as forge masters, which means that they use magic to um, create what's known as night creatures, which are just monsters so they take dead bodies and then use magic to turn them into monsters and only humans can do that which is why there needs to be humans on dracula's court Mm -hmm. and so to find not only two forge masters who would be like loyal to dracula um but forge masters who like believe in the extinction of humanity that's like huge Yeah. Awesome. Is there any other like characters you wanted to talk about, Adam? Or um, I think Hector wasn't too deeply explained yeah. in the second season, so yeah, like, that's fine. Awesome. Yeah. So I think this is a really good time to kind of start shifting over to our cultural analysis, which was taken care of by Connor. I'd love to pass over the mic to you. Hey. Um. Yeah. Sure. So um, a cultural analysis is going to be just a little bit different because I have to go back to season one and explain some things. Go for it. Um, So the first thing I want to mention is that this is a fictional version of feudal Europe. So um, you got like serfdom and like kingdoms and all that kind of stuff. You see a couple allusions to uh, Victor Hugo's um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, specifically in... Um, one of the characters in season one, the Bishop of Greget, the town where season one takes place, and the treatment of Cyphus people, um, the speakers, who are heavily implied to be based off of the Romani people, um, who are, or were, and are still widely hated by many people in Europe. Um, 
So around this time, it's like still pre-Protestant Reformation. So this is when the church is at its most corrupt. And we see that with the Bishop of Greget, who is directly responsible for um, Lisa Tepesh, Dracula's wife's death. He is the one who goes there. He is the one who sees her doing witchcraft, which is just medicine, and uh, convicts her of being a witch and burns her at the stake. Um, if I remember correctly, and I could be completely wrong, he also has um, stake in being one of the people who were responsible for the Belmont family's excommunication from the church, but I could be very wrong here. I don't know. Um, so think, jumping, forward, right. jumping forward to season two, um, we see a lot less of the Catholic influence and um, focus more on like the vampiric aspect um, as well as the team dynamic of Alucard, Trevor, Saifa, um, as Matt and Autumn have explained. Um, I think there's a lot that needs to be said about Hector and Isaac um, because they are both human. They have like a special disdain for humanity that uh, vampires don't. Mm -hmm. You know, they feel disconnected and they seek community um, in vampires. Um, Hector directly likens them to animals, um, saying they're creatures of pure instinct rather than intuition as humans are. Mm -hmm. um, the vampires see uh, humans as something that needs to be like cold, you know, something that needs to be greatly reduced, mm -hmm. while Hector and Isaac basically see them as something that's like a disease, it needs to be eradicated. Um, there's a very distinct difference um, between like the main cast and the antagonists specifically in um, like mood and tone. So there's an overwhelming tone of nihilism in uh, the Dracula's court. Yeah. Um, Alucard even says, and I think I'm paraphrasing here, that um, Dracula's campaign is the world's or longest suicide note. Um, and sort of just jumping back to the Catholic influence for a sec, sorry. Um, we get like a callback to the hypocrisy of the bishop because he is turned into a night creature. He's turned into a zombie, basically, um, who works for the vampires. Once again, bringing the downfall of humanity um, previously through starting Dracula's campaign, but now doing this through the arrogance of the vampires rather than his own. Mm -hmm. um, I think it makes sense philosophically that the... Uh, end scene of the final battle takes place in Dracula's son's bedroom. Um, the entire time, Dracula, he's trying to end humankind in like a twisted way to honor his wife's legacy when, ironically enough, her legacy uh, is the one who ends up destroying Dracula. You know, her mm -hmm. legacy is Alucard. And so, um, sorry, sorry to interject. I think it's really funny how she was a doctor and healed mm -hmm. people and yeah. then like to mourn her, Dracula goes and kills people. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't really honor her legacy. I think it was a very selfish thing of him to do. Yeah, which is what Alucard kept arguing with his father yeah. against, mm -hmm. which is, father was just so blindsided. He, he says multiple times, like, I won't let you commit genocide. Um, I should also mention, Alucard is a title. It's not his name. His name's Adrian. Mm -hmm. um, just in case you guys were, like, confused. Like, oh, why did he name that, his like, son backwards? I feel like <laughs> that name pops up a lot in vampiric lore. Adrian. I don't know a ton about it, because, like, that was, like, if you were kind of focusing on cultural stuff, so like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you talked to anything about like vampire lore at um, all, but um, I, I didn't end up doing that. It's okay, uh, but we love to hear what else you talked right. about though. Um, so yeah, like I was saying, um, Adrian Alucard, he is what remains of Lisa Tepish's legacy. Um, she had like a deep, undying love for humanity, and like even as she is 
burned at the stake, um, like she still holds on to humanity and is like says directly to Dracula, like don't do it. They're still good people. Mm-hmm. Like I know the rage you must feel, but like chill. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Alucard being Dracula backwards, he is the moral and philosophical opposite to Dracula. And he could, in my opinion, only have come from someone who loved humanity as much as Lisa um, and someone who despises humanity as much as Dracula. You know, he is the yin and the yang of the two of them. Um, And so it's in the final moment when Dracula realizes what he's doing and killing his own son that he realizes, like, the moral grievance he's committed. Um, His last sentence is, uh, like saying to Lisa, like, from beyond the grave, like, our boy, your greatest gift to me, and I'm killing him. Mm-hmm. I must already be dead. Mm-hmm. His final word is simply son, mm-hmm. and he goes out in the same way that his wife did, in a blazing inferno with only his wedding band remaining. And, I don't know, I feel like that's kind of moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was definitely moving. I was a little, like, crying at the end of that, because, like, you feel... Like, that was kind of, like, his redemption arc the whole yeah. for the whole thing. Because, like, this entire time, you've just been, like, kind of, like, intrigued about Dracula, but you never really knew anything about him. Mm-hmm. And then within the, the last bit of season two, it just really, like, gives you all of his emotions, mm-hmm. all the attachment that you could have to him. Especially because Dracula is someone who, in this universe, sort of exists beyond time. Like, his castle runs on both magic and practical... Um, engineering like it moves on mm-hmm. an engine he knows like medicine like centrifuges and mm-hmm. like, vaccines and all that kind of stuff so he it's sort of like this retro futurism that he has mm-hmm. like this seemingly forbidden knowledge of stuff that just hasn't been discovered in humanity mm-hmm. yet yeah, and like it's also like sorry to interrupt but like his that's why his wife was like attracted to him because she went to his castle to gain knowledge about mm-hmm. medicine because she knows that he has kept every single piece of human history within mm-hmm. his castle because it has so it's so like big because it just grows underground it's magical because it can move from any place and whenever he thinks about it mm-hmm. and like she just wanted to find more knowledge so it's also very similar to like Sypho being like a knowledge seeking mm-hmm. character yeah and I think it's important like you know she was taken for like she was burned at the stake for like practicing witchcraft, which it really wasn't. It was science, and I think that goes back to you know the idea of like the church being so dominating, the Catholic Church being so dominating in this time, and like cutting off education from the lower classes. Um, and I think that's like I think the more, more important like, cultural aspects of the show was the idea of like alchemy and like magic and how that was really like looked down upon by the church, even though that's like what ends up saving a lot of them in the end. Yeah. It ends up saving humanity in the end. So um, I think it's like the, um, it's important like to note the ideas of like um, the church kind of just how it relates to history really yeah, yeah. like European history and the mm-hmm. Protestant movement and how like that kind of combated that yeah um, is there anything else you wanted to cover for cultural stuff not Connor um, I think that's all I had awesome thank you so much I'm gonna end up shifting this over to our visual analysis done by Julian Ooh. so go ahead do your thing okay so firstly I'd start like to start off with the world building in the show um, I, I love it and what I mean by world building I mean like the background art and some of the things that, that are just in the background that you can see so I guess Bizon says it 
pronounced. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I saw right here, um, Dracula's castle has this like very old Victorian style. It has a lot of spires, it has a lot of spikes, bridges and everything. But like on a contrast, like especially the first town Greshit, you know, it's your classic kind of like 14th century um, architecture. You got a lot of cobblestone, got a lot of primitive stuff. And the colors are they use to, to build that are like your browns, some reds. But when you go to Dracula's castle, there's a lot of like cool grays, cool blues, mixed with the, like the metals to show like the industry and like the science. And just like a lot of like, um, I guess futuristic like piping to really mm -hmm. to convey that like this is a higher up place, and then these people over here are are uh, below him. Um, uh, to go on, uh, I'd like to talk about the the shots in the show. Um, so I, I would say there's like a mix of like all the shots in the show, and I, I find that awesome. But I feel like there's two distinct distinctive differences and when I say that I mean when the characters are talking and when there's like some sort of action scene so I'll talk about when the characters are talking um, so for example in episode 5 when Alucard, Sypha and Trevor are looking for the Belmont hold there's a lot of like wide angle shots like bird's eye view when they're kind of exploring the very area to get like um, I'm sorry, what's that word? Establishing, establishing shot of the area. But when they're talking, there's a lot of close-ups, but mm -hmm. the close-ups don't stick on the characters. And I really like that, because usually in animation, and especially anime, it's kind of like one character talking, mm -hmm. and then maybe like switch, and it's always like over the shoulder or something. But here they, they try to mix it up with like low-angle shots of a character, or like mm -hmm. some higher-angle shots of the character. And I, I think that's the, the really awesome. But when it goes for... Oh, I think that's something really cool about animation in specific because mm. you're able to do that. You're able mm. to play with how you show a character and stuff that you really can't do with Where? a camera in mm. real life. And, and like off that point, like the backgrounds are amazing. Like yes. you have some painted backgrounds and then the 3D backgrounds, which I'll get into, are really nice as well. So uh, on the lieu of that, when there's like action scenes, there's a lot of like wide shots to show the area that they're in. And then to show the character animation that's going on, there's a lot of fast-paced moments. Um, when you need, when something needs to be clear, they get do a close-up shot, so you see what like the the character's reaching for, or the characters what, what the character's about to do. There's a lot of like zoom-out shots when uh, Trevor's using his whip, and so things of that nature. Um, something I really want to talk about is the the animation of the show, the the character movement. So when, like I said before, when the characters are talking, they kind of just like move their mouths, kind of a lot of arm motions, but nothing too much. And the reason for this is to, to save, save money on production. You have a timeline, you need to think, get things done, and like you can't be animating everything beautifully all, all the time. But, <laughs> oh, what's that? It's expensive. Yeah, very expensive, <laughs> very expensive. So, but when the action scenes come through, um, how, how much time do we have? I'm not sure I didn't check. Three or three currently. Oh, okay. <laughs> 12 minutes, you're good. So, so when the action scenes come in, there, there's a lot of things going on. Um, I'm going to talk about a few principles of animation, but I, I'll try to keep it very simple and uh, concise. So there's something called overlapping action. 
So that's like things like clothes, like weapons or things that they're carrying. Um, there's things called squash and shreds. So like, let's say a bouncing ball, like it's gonna squash when it hits the ground and it's gonna stretch out when it comes back up. Um, something else is called ease in and ease out. So let's say you're throwing a punch. You're gonna, you're kinda gonna hold it right here. Like you're winding up for something. So that's easing out. And then like the reverse, I guess, maybe you're getting hit or something. So there, there's a lot of that going on. And I feel like the episode, the episodes that exemplify this is six and seven. Like when, when the huge battle is going on in, um, in Dracula's castle, like the, the draperies flowing everywhere reacts to like, you know, when somebody whooshes by when they get hit or like Sypha's casting a magical spell, like her, her clothes will like ruffle everywhere. And with that, I would like to get on the subject of the 3D backgrounds. Usually in animation, especially when you know we didn't have 3D technology, uh, artists would have to paint the backgrounds and they have to spend hours on this. Now with 3D, you can build an environment, you can shade it, and you can just put the characters you animate on 2D in those environments so you can get like really easy swooping shots. And there's a lot of that. And when they're fighting the, I guess, Dracula's court, like um, when the Miss Lady comes out and and it kind that of looks so cool. swirls, yeah, it swirls around Alucard's face, and then you're like, okay, I see what's about to happen. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> there's just a lot of beautiful stuff in the show. And mm -hmm. Episode uh, seven, when uh, Alucard's fighting Dracula, you can really feel the intensity of like each shot, and that's something else that I want to go into. So there's these things called animating on ones, twos, and threes. So animation is like usually TV animation is between 24 and 30 FPS. So what that basically means, when you're animating it in ones, there's gonna be one drawing for every 24 frames, so, and then so on, so forth, two, threes. So this scene, when, it's specifically when Alucard and Dracula like, are on a bridge, they're in like one of the, the rooms that they busted through, and like you can tell this is just all done on ones. The shading's impeccable, the, their drapery is flowing everywhere. Um, and another thing the animators have to do, and something they have to focus on, is consistency with with what they're wearing. Like, what insignias are they wearing? Like, um, uh -huh. you know, their boots, yada, yada, yada. And, like, I, I literally sat there for an hour just going over each frame. I think I saw one time where, like, the line kind of, like, mm -hmm. moved left or right. But other than that, like, they perfectly animated. And I was just, I was really surprised with that. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful shot. It's a lot of attention to detail. Of, mm -hmm. Very much so. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's good that they they realize it's like they realize what they really need to like what really catches the audience's attention. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like for these fighting scenes they really gotta put in like all this work, you know. But then for like some other things you're like, Oh, you, you know, we can lay back a little bit and mm -hmm. you know, work like you said, like crunch on time and everything for um finishing the season or um the show. Mm -hmm. Um but I think it's really cool that they really just like kind of like you know like we really got to give this audience right. what they want you know mm -hmm. for these fighting scenes and I feel like I really got that from mm -hmm. the show you know? one of my favorite shots is actually at the end of the show it's um when Saifa and Trevor are sitting on that hill they're overlooking that cliff they're overlooking mm -hmm. the sunset or the sunrise I can't remember one of the, the sun. sunrise sunrise okay um it's one of my favorite shots in the entire show because they've like in a way Trevor's kind of started to heal his inner child mm -hmm. um and they're ready to kind of start a new journey and it's 
kind of beautiful says like they're just gonna do it together and they're like mm. but they're gonna stay there for right now and enjoy that moment and it's such a peaceful shot because you've got the sun and nature and it's clear out and they're just sitting there and it's a great silhouette shot i thought and it was just oh, such a i love that shot it was really pretty and you can like it's an importantly important shot yeah. and then like, they end with that and i think that was like the animators really like did it right because right. they got the sunshine so perfect. It really did. It looked very, like, very <laughs> realistic sun rays. If that makes sense. No, there's like those certain scenes throughout the whole show when they're showing like different like flashbacks or just mm. like where there's just the surrounding of the nature, mm. like of towns and etc. It's just so like it makes you feel like you're in right. the show. Like it just it's just so captivating. And it's just like, oh, if you were just, like, watching with all the lights off and that's the only thing you see, like, you would feel like you're in the show and you're just, like, kind of a third person following along with all the characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing that's so beautiful about having that 3D background that you mentioned, Julian, is Mm -hmm. that you're able to move the camera, like, in the direction that the characters may be moving in before they even start moving in. Like, there's one scene... um, it's a flashback where Dracula talks about how he used to just be able to like wipe out a town in one night. And you get a flashback, and it's a very graphic scene. Like you see everything he does. Um, so there's like a lot of blood, a lot of gore. Um, but like you see his movement and like how he moves like a vampire typically would, but they don't just like follow him, they follow the people he's attacking, they follow the places he's going to be. Um, And I think that it's something that's very hard to achieve when you have to keep painting that background over and over again. So that's what the beauty of the Mm -hmm. 3D background is. Technology is cool, man. You mentioned uh, something about Dracula's movement too, and I think that's really something respectable about animators too. I feel like they're everything in one. You gotta be the the camera person, Mm -hmm. you gotta be the actor, you gotta have a little bit of directing in there. Like, every character's gonna move a different way, they're gonna stand a different way, they're gonna look a different way, so Mm -hmm. all of that has to be taken Mm -hmm. into mind. Yeah, I think that's one really good way to think about it, is like, they're the set production, they're doing their set designers, they Mm -hmm. are lighting people, they're prop designers, and like, I think that's, there's a lot of respect to be given, I think, to the animators for any animation show, but especially for this one. Not only that, but they are incredibly faithful to the video game adaptations. Um, you see it in the final fight scene. Um, like Some of Alucard's like, abilities um, in the video game are seen in the final battle. He's able to turn into a dog, for example. He's able to like teleport. Um, um, sorry, going back to like, the whole vampire lore thing, that's like one of the regular... Um, shifting um, animals that like vampires can do it's usually bats falcons and mm. wolves mm-hmm. yeah and it, the, wolf, the wolf especially is, like a symbol for Dracula a lot so I thought that was a really really awesome touch that the animators did yeah you've got uh, Trevor with his whips and his swords oh, um, oh the whip God, animations yeah. are great in, in some um, like Castlevania video games they're able to like throw crosses which we don't really see him do but that would have been really cool if he did mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then you've got Saifa who's able to use like ice and fire and wind and like those are her three main like abilities in the game mm-hmm. yeah well that was great guys i want to thank everyone here for like adding to this you guys had awesome stuff to say i thought it was a great discussion we got out of the show mm-hmm. it was really great to share with the audience castlevania you know i can go had a pleasure of studying the show and thanks again from all of us for listening. And we're out. Yeah. High five, everyone. We got through it. Good job, guys. Good My job. My hair is sorry. <laughs>